Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word, and let's turn together to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 4. The Apostle Peter is a a figure that from Pentecost we really want to pay attention to because his own story should give us hope. It should give us hope because he was someone that when he was growing up his parents owned their own company. Evidently he was fairly well off as someone who was living in Roman Palestine. He was by no means rich. But we hear that he and his father's fishing enterprise along the Sea of Galilee, that he had multiple boats, that he and his brother was responsible for fixing nets, plural, that they actually had hired hands. But it also tells us that because of this fact, what we can read into this is that he had a spiritual calling on his heart, but all the rabbis that had taught around that area at the time had rejected him. We know this because of what we know about Hebrew culture of the day. Once they go through a mandated education of six years, once they're ready to be bar mitzvahed and they'd memorized and studied Torah, then the rabbis can come in and they can hire out disciples who would go along traveling beside them. For a three-year period, they would train under them. They would grow and they would become rabbis in their own right. But Peter had no such fortune. So for an extended period of time, he became someone that was rejected until one day a traveling minister on the shores of the Galilee said to him while he was standing his nets, come to me and I will make you fishers of men. And all the way that he's traveling with Jesus, we hear these stories about open mouth, insert foot. We hear how he was not the most eloquent of speakers, not necessarily even the most intellectual of men, following the rabbi of rabbis, the teacher of all teachers. But we hear about many mistakes that he made. In fact, in one such instance, the Savior turns around to him as Peter is yakking, and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. So this was not the most intelligent person. And yet when the day came, when he was teaching with the rest of the apostles at the temple, in the Holy Spirit manifested in this marvelous way at what we call Pentecost. He went from being a nobody from Nazareth to being apostle of Christ. And in one sermon, 3,000 people, who only a handful of weeks before, 3,000 people who had yelled for the execution of our Lord changed course and became Christians. Why should this give us hope? Because if God can take someone like Peter and use him in such a profound, such a magnificent, such a, for lack of a better term, awesome way, he can use any of us. The apostle writes to us in this book about how churches should behave, how we as Christians should behave. He tries to instruct us on what are the characteristics of the Christian life. There was that old pastor's joke back in the 80s, if, you were, if someone tried to convict you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence? 
Well, this is how Peter defines that evidence. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When you get there in your copy of God's Word, say amen. Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves with this same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. This is a hard saying. It's a hard saying because what it tells us is that this world doesn't like someone who tries to reject the world. This world doesn't like someone who rejects and talks and acts away contrary to the evil that it tries to espouse. As we see today, if you aren't with certain kinds of agendas that are anything but godly, the world turns its back on you and shuns you. But Peter is telling the believers here to take heart when that happens. Don't mourn your persecution, rejoice in it, because they also persecuted Christ. And he made a difference and so can you. Verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So if the world rejects you, it's a hallmark that you're doing something right. If you're a person or a church under persecution by the enemy, the world, the flesh, or the devil, take heed and rejoice. Because if they're against you, God's for you. You would not be attacked if you weren't doing something right. But all this, Peter is also warning us to put away the former things. Make sure that in so doing, as you are in ministry, as you are trying to walk the walk of the Christian life, put away the former things that can distract us from the things of God. Put away the former things that would make us look like the rest of the world. Put away the former things that would strain that intimate, personal, and deepening relationship that God purchased for us at so dear a cost. The Apostle Paul echoes this in Galatians chapter 5 when he writes to us, quite simply adding on, these are the acts of the flesh, these are the indications. If one is, is the evidence that you are in Christ, this is the evidence that you are not in Christ. The Apostle writes, as the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft... Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The reason, if you're wondering why some of these are, un are underlined and the rest of them are not underlined, is because the ones that are underlined are ones that we in church tend to forget about and let slide. Gossip has no place in the local church, and it's just as much a dark mark on a person's life as adultery. In the eyes of God, sin is sin. There are no weights and measures. One dark mark is enough to send you into condemnation. If you are saved and you give in to the old ways, the former things that Paul is talking about here, it puts a strain on your relationship with God. And even though you are forgiven in such a capacity as you will not fail to see heaven, Nevertheless, God will, in order to teach you and work this out of your soul, will enable you to endure the consequences of it. Forgiveness does not mean that God does not chastise. For those who God chastises, He loves. If you're a child and your parents love you and you do something wrong, you still get punished for it. Now, we as Christians tend to think that the only punishment is hell. That's not true. Chastisement allowing us to endure the consequences of our actions takes other forms. And they're characterized by this. When you strain your relationship with God, 
when you do something that is sinful, that puts a dampener on that intimate relationship that God has purchased for you at the cost of His own Son's blood, then God will do everything within His power to restore that relationship. But that means cleansing the part of, the, of, of ourselves that we have tainted. So just as debauchery is wrong, harboring hatred in one's heart is also wrong. Setting up discord within the body of believers is also wrong. Holding jealousy, especially if you're harboring jealousy in your heart as someone who's a member of the redeemed, is still wrong. Going into fits of rage, yelling and screaming at each other is still wrong. Selfish ambition, doing something that, that you clothe in the name of righteousness, that you clothe in the name of the, the local church, but for the wrong reason, for the reason of glorifying yourself instead of glorifying God, is wrong. Setting dissensions, factions, turning the, the church into a political forum is wrong. Again, the reason that I'm underlining this is that even if you're in Christ, we're still capable of sin. And what's wrong is wrong. The sin du jour, the sin of the day that we so often harbor our thoughts on, are not the only things that we need to disciple ourselves on. We need to make sure that the whole of ourselves is brought under subjugation to Christ. What we say what we do, the thoughts that occur to us in our heads and in our hearts, all of that needs to be subordinate to the will of God because of this very stern warning that Paul gives us here. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Charles Stanley once said that he didn't like the phrase, sinner saved by grace, because he thought that that was fatalistic. He preferred the term, a saint that sometimes sins. Because even though we are saints of the living God, you don't have to be dead to be a saint. If you're in Christ, you're a saint right now. You're sealed by Him into the day of redemption. But sometimes we can trip up. But what Paul is basically saying here is if these are not the exceptions in your life, is if this continues to be the rule in your life, you need to get on your hands and knees before a holy God right now. Because if this is what's characterizing you, the regenerate impact of the Holy Spirit is in doubt. Because all this should be washed away. The former things. The things that when we're in Christ we need to put off, like taking off old and stained clothes, include following the law and society's laws instead of following the wants, desires, and the will of God. Let me say that again. That's the difference between legalism and grace. In legalism, we concentrate only on our actions and only on what, we, on what gets caught. What is that old phrase? It's not really speeding if they didn't pull you over. Whether you pull, they pulled you over or not, if you're speeding, you're still speeding. And we have a God that sees you whether, they've got, whether there's an officer out or not. If you do the same thing when we're talking about God's Word, only, only doing what you like and not doing the rest of it, if you, if you don't get into the Bible the way that we as a church promised that we would get into the Bible, study what it means, understand what it means, understand what the will of God in our life is for us, and we only concentrate on the bits that sound good to us, are we truly following Christ? Are we truly knowing Christ? Following the law of society instead of the law of God, that's the former things. Legalism. Focusing on self-gratification instead of the glory of God. If your God is your stomach, or your God is your body, 
or your God is your bank account. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you focus your time, your talent, and your treasure on, if it's not on bringing the glory to God with the intentionality of your heart, you're still living for yourself. You're still living in pride, not in Christ. We worship ourselves instead of presenting ourselves humbly before the throne of grace and therefore humbly before the Lord your God. What does he say? What does God require of you, O man, but that you live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God and realize that it's not about you? Again, as I preached last Sunday, you are not okay if you're standing outside of Christ. Even if we're inside of Christ, we're not yet perfected until we see Him face to face. We're still working, we're still learning, we're still doing. We need each other. We need the Word of God. We need the instruction of godly people. Worshiping the self and feigning the worship of God. These are the things that characterize the life of someone who is in subjugation to the flesh, the world, and the devil, and not under subjugation to Christ. And we as believers can fall into the trap. We can still put on the old dirty clothes that characterize us as a citizen of this world instead of a citizen of heaven. Why? Because the world wants us to. One of the greatest weapons in the enemy's arsenal is a Christian that doesn't look like a Christian, doesn't talk like a Christian, doesn't act like a Christian. Because as, as we're trying to preach the gospel to get others into the Lamb's book of life before it is everlastingly too late. If the enemy can whisper into a doubter's ear, see, look, they're no better than anybody else, then he's won. The best thing that we can do to spread the gospel of Christ alongside not being afraid of proclaiming it is living it out. Peter goes on, You've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, in lust, in drunkenness, in orgies, carousing, in detestable idolatry. These are the very things that everyone sees you doing. You've lived that way long enough. Verse 4, They are surprised that when you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. The world gets surprised when you don't act the way they do or it calls attention to you. And if you're truly in Christ, if you're truly in subjugation to Him, then who do we reflect that to? All worship, write this down, all worship, whether it's what we sing here, whether it's what we proclaim with our conduct, conversation, and character out there, whether it's just the way that we live our lives, all worship seeks to glorify God. All worship seeks to glorify God. And if you're in a church service that acts more like an interactive concert bringing glory to the performers on stage instead of having someone lead you in worship bringing glory to God, then there's a problem. Verse 5, But they will still have to give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. One of the things that this world needs to be brought aware, made aware of. And the way that you live your life before others calls their attention to this. They need to be aware of the fact that one day there's going to be a judgment. This judgment will have two judges participating. One that we call the great white throne judgment where God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, presides. In which case, without being covered by the blood of Christ... You will be judged based according to the standard, which is Christ Himself. 
And you will be judged based according to your actions, your words, and your thoughts. The only thing that can save you is whether or whether or not you lived a sinless and perfect life. Can anyone survive that kind of a judgment? If you are in Christ, however, you go before Jesus Himself in the mercy seat, which means you're automatically given into heaven. The sacrifice that stayed away sin, the sacrifice that paid for God's wrath, has already been applied to your account. What he has to go on are the works, the thoughts, the conduct, conversation, and character that you invested into the kingdom. Which judgment do you want to be on? The impact of living a Christian life before others personally, you can list these down as the benefits of having a Christian life and having a life that is subject to Christ. First of all, you have everlasting life in heaven. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not but have everlasting life. Gold star. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, meaning that you are transformed from the inside out. All of your wants, all of your desires, all of your tastes, all of your attitudes have been changed to be conformed by God. And your life, instead of being characterized by the debaucheries that Paul talked about, are now characterized by love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, forbearance, in other words, forgiveness, patience, and self-control. You have a peace with God that passes all understanding, meaning that no matter the craziness of this world, you have God Himself stabilizing your nerves, calming your anxieties, calming your anger, and carrying you through if you just let Him. You also have the joy of the Lord, meaning that any time that you do work for the kingdom, whether it's being outside in the neighborhood, whether it's doing cards and letters, whether it's helping to put together a potluck, whether it's helping to put together a Sunday school class, when you work for God, God fills you with joy. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. He also gives you this beautiful gift, the bride of Christ, which is the family of God. As iron sharpens iron, He gives you brothers and sisters to help mold you and shape you into the very image of Jesus Himself. He gives you the calling to be a royal priest of the Creator of the universe Himself, meaning that you don't live without meaning. You have a purpose and you have a calling. And He also grants us the revealed revelation of Himself, which is His Word, to carry us through, to grant us wisdom, to grant us hope, Relationally, it means that anyone that sees you knows that you belong to the church, that you have this kind of kindred relationship. And it means also that all of your relationships from the moment that you're converted on are defined by that agape, self-sacrificial love. And if they're not, they need to be. It means that your moral center, if you're under Christ, has been purified to be aligned with Him. It means that you have a longing for the things of God. Do you remember that day when you first got saved? Do you remember that day when you got on, on your knees before God and proclaimed Him as Lord and Savior? And that once the tears had been dried from your eyes, you had a longing, you had an energy, you had a desire to, long, to, to, to get connected with Him and to do something for the kingdom. That's still there. It gets crowded sometimes when we put the self before God. But that desire should be on every Christian's heart. It also means that eventually if we subject ourselves to both the Spirit of God in tandem with the Word of God, that our life reflects Christ before each other and others. It also means that we become an example 
in our conduct, conversation, character, the words we use, the way that we live, the very work that we do, and even what we have going on the inside, because people know. People can see the intentions of your heart. When all that is, is, is in conformity with Christ, you give them an example that lead others to Him. Preach often and only when necessary. Use words. And actually, that should be preach always and do them both. It's not an either or. But also, you have a deep personal and a direct relationship, not just with people, but with the very creator of this universe himself. Paul tells us that we have the, the right to go boldly before the throne of grace, that we may make our petitions known. We cry, Abba, before God, which is the Hebrew way of saying, Daddy. We have that kind of family relationship with the very maker of this universe, the very God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that holds us back from being able to talk to Him. And when I jokingly say, let's do something radical, let's pray, if you think about it, being able to talk directly to God, that's pretty radical. For this is the reason, Peter continues, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The Spirit changes us. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of mind that you might pray. He's preparing them by giving them the tools necessary to run the race, to complete the course, to preserve the faith. But more often than not, we don't really know what the goals of the Christian life are. We think of it as simply getting into heaven by the skin of our teeth. Church membership is hellfire insurance. There's a lot more to it than that. In fact, on top of the mansion in glory that we keep singing about, there are crown rewards that you will receive if you're in Christ and if you've lived in obedience to His will. Write this down. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is conforming to the image of Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. For your relationship with God and living in such a way that the people around you, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your children, your grandchildren, living in such a way that you become a reflection of Christ before them and that when the day comes when God through Christ comes knocking on the door of their hearts, they have already been exposed to Christ because of you and through your conduct, conversation, and character through your willingness to live it out and then explain why you live it out, in giving that account of the hope that is within you, they come to Christ, conforming yourself willingly to His image for His glory and for the sake of those around you. Loving others, loving God above all else, learning the truth of the Word of God and applying it in your life, imitating Jesus Christ in the way that you live that life and pointing others to the free gift of salvation. Let others see Jesus, what? In you. And he also gives us this. This is specifically to the church as a body, as a gathering. Above all, love each other deeply because love comes, covers over a multitude of sins. 
the answer to any church conflict or any anxiety within the organizational aspect of the church is quite simply put, according to the Apostle Peter, love each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, not to glorify the self, but to lift up everybody around you as faithful stewards of the grace, of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks from the very words of God. This doesn't mean that you have beautiful speech. This means that every time you open your mouth, you understand two things. Number one, that you are subject for what you speak to God himself because he's listening just as the people around you are listening. And number two, that you enter that conversation and all conversations with such gravity because you know that someone else recognizes that you come in the name of Christ. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. And to Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, may God add His blessing to the reading of His word this morning. Our strength comes from only one source. Our provision comes from only one source. If you have the strength to do work, understand always when you go into that situation that the reason you have that strength and that skill is because it's been given to you by God. And, do, and for everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord. If you have wisdom in certain areas, maybe you're a financial wizard, maybe you're a profound teacher, maybe you're one of those types that is extremely good at being an auto mechanic or being an electrician, whatever the case may be, understand that whatever that guidance has been given to you, that it comes from God. And then by doing that work and doing it well, you glorify Him. And for the sake of using your gifts in the local church, if someone has given you the ability to preach, if someone has given you the ability to teach, if someone has given you the ability to be an older brother or older sister in the faith to somebody else, remember, recognize that all of that comes from God and invest it into the body of believers so that in all things He might be glorified and your brothers and sisters in Christ might grow in Him. And above all, that the people who see you that have not yet come to know Him, that they are given the opportunity to come to know Him because they have seen Him reflected in you. All God's people said. Heavenly Father, as we close the service of the Word now, and as we come before Your table, we lift our hearts before You we ask that you would forgive those times when we have not lived up to the calling that you've given to us. We ask you that you would forgive us for those times that we have thought of ourselves before you and before others. For those times that we have not heard the cry of the needy. For the times that we have offered assistance that maybe has trapped someone into poverty instead of pulling them out. For those times that we have not given an account of the hope that you give us those times that we have been a disobedient church. Forgive us, we pray. Free us from the will of the enemy. Free us for joyful obedience to you. As we rededicate ourselves now into your hands without reservation, bless this time when we come to fellowship with you. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
that when the day comes and we stand before you, as we celebrate your grace now, we might hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, it is in the most holy Christ that we ask these things. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share his word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.